Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Damascus Road has, by God's grace, been a church that people far from God have, have come to, and we have seen God save a lot of people. We've baptized about 80 people in the last couple years. We've seen about 60 people God save, and so that's a wonderful, wonderful thing to be a part of. Can I get an amen on that? Why, yeah, why are you leaving me hanging? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but, the, but we, uh, we're young, and, and we have folks who God has just saved them, and they're new to the Bible, and they're new to the church, and they're new to this whole thing. And so what we do is that we, uh, during the summer, we do summer series in which we take topics, and our aim is less about breadth and, and telling as many people as possible about Jesus, and it's more about depth. It's more about maturity, and it's about us growing in our understanding of who God is and what He's done, what He calls us to. And so this summer, we decided to do our summer series on the Holy Spirit, and we are in our fifth or sixth week uh, on that. And man, I, I hope that it's been a blessing to you. Uh, I've had a lot of encouraging emails and conversations, but we're going to continue on that. And we uh, have looked at the person of the Holy Spirit. We spent a couple weeks on the work of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we looked at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this week, we're going to be on the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is our text for today. So I'm going to have you stand. We're going to read God's word together. I'm going to pray, and then we will get after it. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. God, we... Thank you today for your good grace to us. Thank you today that you sent your son, that whosoever would believe in him would have eternal life. God, that you have renewed and redeemed so many of us, and that you are continuing that work through your Holy Spirit, drawing us, God, renewing us, redeeming us, changing us, transforming us. And God, we're, we're here today because we want more of that, because we need you, because we need to hear from you. And so I pray, God, that as we come to your word, that you would prepare our hearts Help the soil of it to be receptive. Make our hearts submissive to you, God, that whatever you call us to, we say yes. And we pray, God, that you would grow us in every way. Make us more, look more like Jesus so that we can tell more people about Jesus, God, so that we can see this fantastic work of redemption in every corner of this building and ultimately in every corner of this city. And we thank you for all of it in your good and precious name. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So this idea of the fruit of the Spirit, let me give you a little bit of perspective as to whenever we outline this series, how we decided to come at it. The elders sat down and we outlined the series, then we sent it to the teaching team and they kind of wrestled with it and all that kind of deal. And so we obviously wanted to start with who is the Holy Spirit. We saw that he's God. We saw that he's not a manifestation of God. He's not a creation of God, but he's the third person of the Trinity. We saw that he's a he. He's not an it. He's not a green smoke, he's not a Jedi, he's not the force, right? He is a he, and that means that he can be related to, that he can be heard, that we can speak to him, that he hears and speaks back to us. We saw the work of the Holy Spirit, that the most miraculous thing the Holy Spirit does is save sinners, that he draws, that he redeems and resurrects and regenerates, and that he seals us, and then he does the work of making us look more like Jesus. 
And then last week we saw that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that he takes us saved individuals and that he unites us as one body by one spirit, all connected to the mission and purposes of God, and that that baptism results in a group of people who are connected to one another with diverse gifts, but with the same spirit and with the same intent, and that we're to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit to be empowered for everything that God has for us. Now, whenever you bring up the Holy Spirit, people always want to know about the gifts, right? Let's talk about the gifts. Let's talk about all that weird stuff that happens. What do you think about that? And I get lots and lots of questions that way. But we're going to get into the gifts next week, and here's the reason that we're going to do the fruit of the Spirit this week. The sequence of this is that God saves us, that God seals us, that God baptizes us, that God fills us, and then the fruit of the Spirit is the character that God wants to develop in us, and that from that filling and from that fruit, we use the gifts that God has given us. That has to be the order. I am regenerated, I am filled, I bear fruit, and then I use my gifts. Here's the reason. You run into somebody who has particular gifts but not the character of the Holy Spirit, bad things happen. You run into somebody who has profound, miraculous, sometimes revolutionary gifts, but they're not loving, they're not peaceful, they're not kind, they're not gentle, people get hurt. And so we want to make sure that we say we are a group of people connected to the Holy Spirit, saved by the Holy Spirit, baptized by the Holy Spirit, filled by the Holy Spirit, and our aim is to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and then, from that context, for us to use the gifts that God has given us. And we'll get into that a little bit more next week. But I want you to put back up on the screen this list of gifts. This li- I'm sorry, this list of fruit. And I want, to, uh, I want to work my way down through it real quickly. And I want you to divide these gifts, there's nine of them, into three different categories. So take the first three, category one, the second three, category two, the third three, category three. You get it. And how this is laid out for us is that it goes in order of the sequence of these gifts and how they're manifested and to whom they're manifested. The first three, love, joy, peace, is our relationship to and with and from God. The second three, patience, kindness, goodness, is our relationship to others. And the third three, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, have to do with the things that God is making us. And so a spirit-filled person who's exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, is very simply going to be in love with God. The Spirit speaks of Jesus. The Spirit exalts Jesus. The Spirit points to Jesus. So if you're Spirit-filled, you're going to love Jesus. Secondly, you're going to find your joy in Jesus. You're going to find your joy in God. There are people who the pursuit of joy is a means to itself. They, they just want to be happy. They, and they try different mechanisms and they try different mediums. And God says that if you have your joy in me, you'll have your joy everywhere else. But if you try to find joy in anything but me, it will at best be circumstantial and at best be temporal. And so a spirit-filled person is somebody who finds their joy in the ultimate source of joy, that being Jesus Christ. Thirdly, peace. We have peace by Jesus Christ. We have peace by. I have peace because of who my Savior is. And what that means is that I have peace whether circumstances dictate peace or not. Whether or not things are peaceful or not, I have peace because that peace is given to me and the Spirit is going to flesh that out in my life. I'm going to love God. I'm going to find joy in God. I'm going to find peace by God. With others, three things that he says. You're going to be patient. Hello. Hello. 
right? Quickly, hurry up. Be patient, right? The Spirit is going to lead us to growing patience. You're going to be kind. You're going to be good. Kind of this all-encompassing, this, this character of somebody that's quality, somebody that's healthy, somebody that's kind and good and faithful and patient. God says that the Holy Spirit is going to lead you to that place. And then lastly, within myself, I'm going to be growing in faithfulness. And what that simply means is growing and being trustworthy. A spirit-filled person is trustworthy. When they say they're going to do something, they do. You can depend on them. That's what the Spirit leads us to do and leads us to be. They're going to be growing in gentleness. And they're going to be growing in self-control. Paul says that, I am over my body. My body is not over me. In other words, I'm not dictated to by the desires of my body. I don't, I'm not told what to do. I tell my body what to do. And so these urges, these desires that I have, I have control over them. I have victory over them. This is the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to notice something about this. I grew up in a uh, conservative uh, Baptist church. And, and I've heard this taught many, many, many times. And I've got to be honest with you, lots of times when I've heard it, and I don't, I don't mean this in any way negatively toward the preacher, uh, I've heard this as a list, a standard, a set of rules, something that I'm supposed to go and I'm supposed to attain to. And so the idea is that God saves me by His grace and then I'm supposed to go exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. And I've got to be honest with you, if that is your understanding of this list, this list and your attempts to do it, it's going to crush you. There's no way for you to keep this. There's no way for you to attain this. There's no effort that you can exhibit toward this. And if you think that I'm wrong about that, then, you know, this is a great time for you to put this theory to the test. A lot of you guys didn't work on Friday. You had a long weekend. You probably enjoyed yourself. It was beautiful. You're as chill and as calm and as level-headed as you're going to be for a while, right? So this week, take one of them. Just take patience, And try to be patient all week and see how that goes. All week, not one slip. Just do your best. Be disciplined. Put little notes up all around, right? Put little uh, uh, alarms on your phone. Oh, be patient. Oh, I'm I'm cool, right? Try peace. Try joy. Try love. Try just being kind. When the guy swerves in front of you on 51, just the whole week, do your very best. And make sure that you bear the fruit of the Spirit because then God will be happy with you, right? Here's the thing about this. The fruit of the Spirit, it doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. This isn't nine categories. This isn't nine pursuits. It says fruit because it's talking about a person. This fruit and the person that it's talking about is Jesus. This is a portrait of Jesus Christ. This is who Jesus is. This is the things that make him who he is. Jesus is loving. Jesus is joyful. Jesus has peace. He's patient. He's kind. He's good. He's dependable. He's gentle, he's self-controlled, and this gets me excited because I want to hang out with this dude. I don't know people like this, do you? I know people who maybe get five out of nine, and you think, wow, that's a good guy, but I don't know anyone who gets nine out of nine. But the thing that's beautiful about this is this is a portrait of our Savior. This is a portrait of our God, and you look at that list, and you're, you're drawn to it, you're, you're compelled by it, and here's what the Bible says. It says that the Spirit is going to speak of and point to Jesus. And so any fruit, any exhibit of the Spirit is going to look like Jesus. And so bearing the fruit of the Spirit is bearing the likeness of Jesus. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit is being transformed into the image of Jesus. 
And the Bible sees fit to lay out for us what that's going to look like, not so that we can get saved and get to work, but so that we can be compelled to the understanding of the beauty of the person that God wants us to be and empowers us to be and allows us to be because of who Jesus is. And what's amazing about this is that if you go down through this list, you say, okay, I get it's not a set of rules, and I get this is Jesus, but how do I do this thing, right? How do I exhibit the fruit of the Spirit? How do I uh, begin to look more like Jesus? And the language that Paul gives us, he's going to explain to us how that occurs. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. It's a supernatural occurrence that occurs naturally. It's a supernatural occurrence that occurs naturally. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's a contradiction. It's a supernatural occurrence that occurs naturally. Now, why is it supernatural? Because it's the fruit of the Spirit. Because the result of these things in a person's life, the changing of these things in a person's life, occurs because God brings it to pass. In fact, Paul sets this fruit of the Spirit in contrast to this work of the flesh. The idea of the flesh in the Bible is what happens from my natural efforts. So whenever I just put my effort towards something, the thing that occurs is the work of the flesh. And Paul says the work of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit are dichotomous. They are opposite of one another. One is east and one is west. And so what we see is that Whenever God makes me loving, God makes me patient, God makes me kind, God makes me gentle, he's doing that through his power, he's the source of it, and it is a supernatural, miraculous event. Let me tell you why I think this is so important for us. I'm disturbed by the way that the church just by default defines miracles, and I'm disturbed that when I go, look, go on TV and I watch a church service and I hear somebody talking about what it's going to be like when the Holy Spirit does and woo-woo-woo and ha-ha-ha and <laughs> I don't hear the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit is to take a stubborn old bird like me and make him gentle and kind. I don't hear that. And yet that's what we see in the fruit of the Spirit. That God takes... A, a stubborn, self-righteous, uh, wrongly-minded man like me, and he says, I'm going to supernaturally, miraculously make you dependable, gentle, good, kind, patient. I'm going to give you joy. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to make you loving. I'm going to give you self-control and victory. And it disturbs me that at the, as, the, as a church, we don't, we don't identify that and say, look, look at that miracle. We say, oh yeah, that's good. Let me tell you why I think that is. Because I think that we have this conception that if I start to be more loving, it's because I worked hard to be it. And that's how we disciple people sometimes, right? They say, man, I really got an anger problem. And we say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to memorize 10 verses on anger. I want you to pray about this every day. I want you to have accountability. I want you to text somebody when you freak out and cuss somebody out on the road. Hey, man, my bad. I cussed somebody out, right? You work hard to do it. And over time, that hard work pays off and you're less angry and more gentle. And there's not a lot that's miraculous about that. It's just that, wow, that dude loves Jesus and he works really hard. But the problem is, it's not the fruit of Tim. 
It's not the fruit of Tim. It's not the fruit of Nolan. It's not the fruit of Ashley. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And so here's what I know. And I've said this, and people have felt like I'm, I'm kind of feigning humility. I have to be completely honest with you. I believe that anything that is good in me is in me because the Holy Spirit put it there, accomplishes it by the work of Jesus, preserves it by the work of Jesus, and any love that I feel, any joy that I have, any peace that I accept, any goodness, kindness, patience, is there by miraculous, supernatural means of the Holy Spirit that's inside of me. It's not that I worked hard and I'm a good guy. Just ask my wife. It's not. And so the supernatural occurrence is that God takes broken, sinful men and women who are not loving, and he makes them loving. And he says, not only should you love me and love your neighbor and love your friends, but love your enemy. And he takes people who are greedy, and he says, understand that you can't serve God and money, and I want you to be generous. And he takes greedy people, and he makes them generous. One of the most immovable things in the universe is the human personality and psyche. And for God to take somebody and change their very being to make them a new creature in Christ is a miracle, and we ought not to move that goalpost. We ought not to move that goalpost. So this supernatural occurrence then occurs naturally. My wife and I, when we uh, uh, moved here, we rented in McFarland right next to a cornfield for a while. So that was a little weird, i got to be honest. Uh, And then we moved down the road, and we bought a foreclosure, and the house had some, some issues with it, and so we decided that we were going to focus on the inside for the first bit, and then we were going to go to the outside, and so we did all this work. We put new carpet, and new windows, and a new roof, and blah, 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 blah. Tons of paint, tons of work. This year, we decided that we're going to start working on landscaping, and so uh, yesterday, my wife went to Menards, and she bought a bunch of plants, and, and we were out there doing all that stuff. And uh, my wife, we get everything in, and my wife says to me, man, I hope these things are going to live. <laughs> I said, me too. Me too. And so what I did is I got down on all fours, and I was like, grow, you stupid plant. Like Billy Madison, go to your home, right? Why? Because you can force plants to grow, Right? That's what I read. Is that not true? I'm an, I'm an Ohio boy, so we're a little slow. Yeah, you can't do that, right? You can't say, grow a plant. But what can you do? You can focus on the conditions in which the plant is placed. So that's what we did. We put soil in. We fertilized it. I watered it. We poured Kool-Aid on it. Cause I, I didn't. We didn't. I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, yeah, we, we, fo- we, we addressed the, the externals and the causes and... and, and when you address the conditions of soil, what happens to a planet naturally grows. So whenever Paul comes to Galatians chapter 5, he doesn't say, build a concrete structure of the Spirit. He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say, develop a molecular... He doesn't say, build a machine. He says, the fruit of the Spirit. And so he's going to give even a city boy like me a little horticultural lesson that he's going to apply to the way that the Spirit bears fruit and fills our lives and our hearts and changes us. The first part is that he does it. We just talked about that. The second part is that we then are 
about the conditions of our heart in which the Holy Spirit wants to be at work. And so these tensions, and the reason that I said to you, say to your neighbor, that's a contradiction, is because it sounds like the Holy Spirit does all the work, right? And then it occurs naturally. But what he's, what he's really saying is the Holy Spirit is the source and the power and the seed giver, and that we then contribute the condition of our heart in the reception of his work. It's how this works. It's how this goes. Natural processes are dependent on conditions. Supernatural occurrence that occurs naturally. Supernatural occurrence that occurs naturally. Natural, natural processes are dependent on conviction or uh, conditions. Now, when you read through God's word, there are times where God is talking about the human heart and what is the way that he describes the human heart? That it's like what? Soil. That it's like soil. And in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, he actually gives us a way to identify the, the condition of the soil of our heart. And he gives us four different kinds of soil. And so what I want to do is I want to take the next 15 minutes or so, and I want just to give you some mechanisms and some tools to identify the condition of your heart and to evaluate whether or not you and I are putting ourselves in a position to receive the filling of the Spirit, to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, and to experience all that God has for us. Again, it's a work of the Spirit. He does it. He's the source. He's the power by His grace. Our job is to submit to it and to receive it. So how does this work? Four different kinds of soil. Four different kinds of soil, all found in Luke chapter 8. Jesus says the first is soil, and this is the phrase that he uses, soil that's on the path. We got any hikers in here? Anyone like to go up to Devil's Lake and go hiking? Yeah, I, uh, I'm not a big hiker, but I've been enough times to know this, that there's a, a part in the forest that is the path, and that path is generally just where somebody followed somebody else's footsteps, right? And what does that soil look like? It's smashed down, it's hard, it's not soft. And if I were to go along and I were to throw some seed on there, what would happen to it? It would just get knocked off, it wouldn't get into the soil because that soil isn't well, it isn't healthy, it isn't receptive. And so Jesus says some men, some women's heart is like soil that's on a path. And here's how he describes it. As somebody who has heard but not received. Heard, but not received. Now, he's not talking about deafness. He's talking about apathy. And let me me be straight about this, because the the, the group that I'm most concerned about this on-the-path soil is if you've grown up in and around church. Because if you're like me, I grew up in and around church, and I've heard a lot of messages. I mean, a lot of messages. When I was three, four, five, my folks used to take me to rooms like this, and we would sit in two, three, four-day conferences And I would listen to people stand up and preach the Bible for a very long time, and I did not care, right? And that was before there was iPads and I could play Angry Birds, so that was extra bad. So I've heard lots and lots and lots of things. But in this hearing, I can hear and I cannot cannot receive. And when I hear and don't receive, that is dangerously close to becoming apathetic. It's dangerously close to becoming apathetic. I actually fear for and I pray for those who come to this church who have been around church because I'm afraid that they think by hearing they're received by proximity they received when in fact by hearing they might just be deflecting. Let me give you some examples. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Anyone heard that before? How's that going Wednesdays? Right? We hear, and that's not about my wife. It's about the soil of my heart and my sometimes apathy or my self-righteousness or my justification toward it. And so are there things that God wants to say to you that you're like, yeah, man, I've heard that before, but you haven't received it? Number two is uh, soil that's rocky, soil that's rocky. And God describes this as soil that is received joyfully, but it's received in a temporal way. Let me give an example. I told you I grew up in and around the church, which means I've been to lots of church camps. Here's what happens at church camp. You go on Monday and you're excited, you're hanging out with your dudes. I got this bunk, oh, okay. And by Friday, you've sat in three sessions a day, and Friday night, the dude brings out the big guns, and he talks about hell, right? And he scares the out of you. And you, you say, okay, I got it. And everyone has this big experience, and we're scared. God, I want to recommit my life to you, and I want to get saved. And it's, oh, and everyone goes forward, and we pay the guy extra because the whole room went forward and that kind of deal. And then they go home, right? Then I go home, and then I go back, and I do the same thing. And then I go home, and then I go back, and I do the same thing, and then I go Here's the concern that I have about this is that I feel like in the church a lot of times we come for and I try to provide for you some kind of emotional experience. I want to get you excited. I want to get you emotional. I want you to cry because God's saying something to you. Right? And if I, sometimes people come and they, they have this experience and they think, man, God spoke to me. But the thing that we're really looking for isn't just that God spoke to you and you cried but that that seed gets into the soil of your heart and changes you. And Jesus says, there are some, it's like on the path, they hear it and they don't receive it. There are some that they receive it, but they just receive it for a minute in the experience, in the emotion, and then it's gone. The third is thorny ground. And this is a group of people who they hear it and they receive it, but the seed is choked out by other pursuits. I say a lot of times, that I feel like I can motivate you at least to the parking lot. And then your phone's going to ring. <laughs> right? And this is, this is a big thing for us. Now, I'm not dissing technology. I'm all about technology. I have a phone. I got an iPad. I got a laptop. I got a blah, 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 blah. But I, I, I know that we're so busy. And that we have so many mediums and so much media and so much distraction that the soil of my heart can begin to get hard because it's going in so many different directions. And so I can legitimately hear from God and I can legitimately receive it and I can literally forget about it by the time I'm pulling out onto Cottage Grove Road. The fourth is what God calls good soil. And there's two parts to good soil. I hear it and I hold fast to it. It's to hear... God's word through God's spirit and to clamp onto it. I don't know if you've ever sat in a room and you've had God say something to you and it immediately became conviction. I remember when I was 19, actually 20 years old, I went to Kansas City and I sat in a room and I listened to a guy preach a message on David's mighty men. And he was talking about the need for the church to really kind of reorient itself to a way that addresses the needs and the the plans that God has for men in the church. And I remember feeling like I was going to come out of my skin. 
I mean, I, I felt like God was shaking my insides. And I remember that day specifically, I remember the row that I was sitting in, I remember who was on either side, and I'm now 36 years old, and I still deeply, deeply, deeply believe that. I deeply believe that. That's a lot of the reason that DR does what it does, because look at me, man. Because I believe that God has a plan for you that involves leadership, both spiritual and otherwise. And because I believe that if I get you, I'll get your bride and your kids. And I'm afraid that the church, many times, because we get so floral, and so that guys just come and roll their eyes and say, man, this is for my wife, but this isn't for me. And I'm afraid that we're getting, and ladies, I love you so much, all right? I love you so much. But I'm afraid that many times I get the mom and the bride and the kids, but the dad stays home and watches the Packers. I think there's so much opportunity that we have for men to be reached, for men to be passionate, for men to lead, for men to care, for men to be spirit-filled, for men to lead their families, to lead this church. And I think we leave a lot of those things on the table, and it grieves me deeply. It grieves me deeply. God put that in me 16 years ago. And at that time, the heart of my, the soil of my heart was prepared to hear and hold fast to that. And what are the things that God is trying to say to you right now? God's trying to say to you about your family, your work, your finances, your marriage, your relationship to your kids, your time. Maybe God has something that he's saying, man, I want you to take a leap of faith and I want you to do this. How's the soil of your heart in receiving that? Maybe a ministry that you're supposed to start. Maybe somebody that you're supposed to reach out to. Maybe something you're supposed to say. I don't know. But is your heart on the path? Is it rocky? Is it thorny? Or is it good that you've heard and you've held fast to it? So that's the first question. How is the soil of your heart? Here's the second and the last. It's what am I sowing into my life? Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 and 8 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. We were out doing landscaping, and one of my neighbors came over, and he says, do you want one tomato plant or two? And I was like, how about none? Oh, that wasn't an option. Okay, and because my wife is sweet and kind, she said, sure, we'll take some. So I got two tomato plants. Here's the thing about tomato plants. I put those things in the ground, and my expectation is that next summer I'll go out and there'll be a watermelon on it. Right? Isn't that how it works in Wisconsin? No, I know that what I put in the ground is going to grow from the seed that it was. Here's what God says. Don't think that you can put junk seed in the ground and something good's going to grow out of it. At the same time, know that when you make gospel investments into your heart and into your mind and into your life, those are going to grow into seed. In fact, God describes the kingdom of heaven like a mustard seed that grows into a tree and the birds of the air come and find rest in it. So when we're looking at the soil of our heart, we also have to look at what we're putting into that soil. So two questions. Number one, am I regularly weeding my heart? I told you that we had decided that we were going to focus on the inside for a couple years. The thing that I didn't tell you was that when we bought the house, this guy, the guy had like surrounded our backyard with landscaping that we haven't done a lot to for a couple years. Don't judge me. It does not look good. Doesn't look good. 
Well, actually, the right side looks good because my wife went out and did a bunch of weeding for it. Uh, but the left side still. And so when you come over to my house, I'm like, hey, look at the right side. You know that your heart is the same way. That left unweeded, what's going to happen? Things are going to come in and they're going, to, they're going to crowd and they're going to choke out the seed and the plant that God wants to be in your heart. And so the mechanism that God gives us to address that is confession and repentance. And this is something that I would encourage you to take daily inventory. Confession is simply to agree with God. God, I agree that that ought not to have been. That was sin. I confess that too. Repentance isn't confession. Confession is just, yes, got it. Kind of like when my wife says, will you take out the trash? And I say, sure. Oh, you want me to get up and do that? (laughs) Got it. Yes, I'll take that out. I get up and I go opposite of where I was going. I turn off the TV or I stop doing what I was going to do. That's what confession is. I agree, I affirm, and I turn. And so at the end of each day, I would say, listen, weed your heart. Why? Because the Spirit wants to plant good, healthy, gospel-centered seed in your heart. And so weed, just get with God and say, Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm spending time in your word. I've spent time with your people. And I'm asking you to reveal to me the areas that my life does not agree with you. And then whatever he brings up, I agree with you and I seek to turn from that. I'm weeding my heart so that the soil of my heart is good and healthy and able to bear fruit. So the first part is weeding. The second part is seeding. Am I regularly planting seeds of the gospel in my heart? Let me be clear about this, guys. God makes very, very plain that he uses the same mechanism to save you as he does to change you. And that is the work of Jesus on the cross. I want to be clear with you that a Christian is not somebody who works hard, a Christian is somebody who remembers well. Remembers well what Jesus did, remembers well who God says they are, remembers well that God says that he has a plan and a purpose for you. Religion says, God saves you, now get to work and work hard. That's not Christianity. Christianity says, God saves you by a work that's been done, and I call you to center yourself on and remember that work, and as you remember that work, I'll change you. And so listen, do you regularly remind yourself that we work not to gain favor, but because we have it? This is a tough one for me. Because I'm a type A dude. I like to make decisions and get stuff done and break stuff and rebuild stuff. And I can get my identity really closely tied to that. Because sometimes you break stuff and try to rebuild it and it stays broke. And then you got to try to break it again and rebuild it. Otherwise, God's not going to be happy with you. If it doesn't work, if it doesn't succeed, if you aren't getting the good stuff that, that, but the gospel says that God already favors you, already loves you. Do you remind yourself that God does not use guilt or fear to motivate you? For some of you, that's a big one. You think that God is the guy with arms crossed who's willing to emotionally manipulate you so that you'll be a good Christian. But God actually says that he wants us to rest in the work of Jesus and rest in his love for us. Do you regularly remind yourself that you're a new creature in Christ? Old things are passed away. Listen, some of y'all, you tell me things that you've done And it still defines who you are, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is that God says that he takes your past and he casts it as far as the east is from the west. That he literally doesn't remember. 
that he chooses to not remember, and that you bring to him a past, and you say, God, I give you my past, and that he washes it away. And that when he looks at you, he sees the work of his son. Do you regularly remind yourself that God is good and kind and patient? Remember the portrait that we saw in the fruit of the Spirit. Do you regularly remind yourself that God is satisfying? John Piper says that God is most glorified in me when I'm most satisfied in him. Not that we'll try an effort to be satisfied, but just to remind myself, nothing's going to satisfy me like Jesus does. Listen, are you regularly reminding yourself by spending time in God's word, spending time in prayer, spending time with God's people? I'm gonna be straight with you. I have a hard time reminding myself sometimes. And I need godly men and women around me to say, that's not the gospel. Not to say, Tim, get to work. Because Christianity isn't working hard, it's remembering well. Reminding me who Jesus is. Reminding me who God makes me. Reminding me how God views me. Reminding me that I have rest. Reminding me that I am new. Reminding me that I am redeemed. I need people to do that. And then the promise of this is that, listen... As I join the Spirit in just addressing the conditions of my heart, here's what the Bible says, that he who began a good work in you will perform it until it's completed. I'm a terrible gardener. You know why? Because I like the planting stuff. I just don't like the weeding weeding stuff. So I'll plant it. I'll be like, I'll be back to get you when you're full grown and beautiful. And then I leave, right? And then I come back and I'm like, where are you, sweetie? God says, I'm, I am, what do we see? That the comforter is to come beside. I come beside you, I plant in you, and I'm going to weed and to protect and to grow supernaturally and naturally. I'm going to complete this work that I started in you. And that work is to make you and I look more like Jesus. To make you and I look more like Jesus. And so this fruit then is something that we're to pursue by addressing our heart and to submit by trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to empower this to occur and to be at work in our lives. Why don't you stand with me? Let me give you a couple ways that I'd like you to think about this and that I'd like you to respond. The first is I'd like you to just spend some time talking to God. And maybe if your spouse is beside you, you want to have a conversation with her, that's cool. But just evaluating your heart, the health of your heart. Is it on the path? Is it rocky? Is it thorny? Is it good? Are there things that God's wanting to say to you that you're not hearing or not doing? And then I'd like you to spend some time around things that you might need to confess and repent of. And then I'd like you to spend some time around decisions that you might want to make about reminding yourself well of what the gospel is and what God wants to accomplish in you and for you. After you've done that, why don't you come up and take communion? We remind ourselves through communion every week of what Jesus has done, and then we respond in praise. We sing together. And so we have gifted people, people of character, who lead us, and we have the opportunity to lift our voices as one and ask the Holy Spirit to inhabit that. So I hope you'll join us in that. Okay? Are we good? Okay. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the work that your Holy Spirit does. I thank you that he's speaking. Thank you that He's powerful. I think he's the source of our transformation and of our growth. And God, I just pray for the the work that's being done to remember well, even right now as I'm praying. For the work that's being done to evaluate the soil of our heart. For the work that's being done about the seed we're putting in and the weeds that we we need to pull. 
And I pray, God, that you'll make the soil of each person's heart in this room healthy and good and receptive. And I pray that you'll make the soil of the heart of this community healthy and good and receptive so that gospel seeds can be planted, so that gospel fruit can occur, so your name can be glorified and your people can rejoice. Pray, God, that you'll accomplish these things in a miraculous way and that we'll celebrate them rightly as having been done by your grace and for your purposes. And we thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name.